The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Our teaching text this evening comes from Acts 8, 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south of the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a lamb, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear, it's silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Ezetus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Well, how are we doing this evening? Yeah, good to be with the people of God, right? Amen? Amen. Well, as we kind of mapped out what we were going to talk about through this book of Acts, and we knew we weren't going to hit everything, uh, we, uh, there were a few texts that I was particularly excited about, and tonight is one of them. Before we get there, uh, just a few things. If we haven't met before, my name is Tim. I serve as the pastor here at Citizens. I want to welcome you to our Sunday gatherings. We do two things primarily as a church. We gather together on Sundays to sing and to hear God's word preached and proclaimed, and we gather throughout the week uh, in community groups to live life together and follow Jesus together. Uh, If you are following along with our Lent guide, so Wednesday, Ash Wednesday kicked off this season of Lent, 40 days where we prepare our hearts to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on Easter. If you're following along and have one of those, uh, tomorrow starts our first corporate fast as a church where we're going to be refraining from any background noise. So uh, radio, podcast, music, anything like that as we try to create space to hear from God and what he might speak to us. And so look forward to that, all you podcast junkies. It'll be super great. If you are not, that's like, that's super easy. Whatever. Don't worry. Coffee is coming. So you will have your own fix in a minute. Uh, But Acts chapter 8, if you have a Bible, go ahead and get there. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab your phone. Uh, You can just Google it. Acts chapter 8. There should be some Bibles on the ends of the rows. Whatever you need to do, that's where we're going to be hanging out today. We're going to start in verse 4, and then we're going to hop over to verse 26. Acts chapter 8. If you've been around our church for any amount of time, or even just today's your first time, and hopefully you heard Cole say it at the beginning, our mission as a church, what the statement that encapsulates everything we want to be about as Citizens Church Charlotte is this. Citizens Church exists to be a Jesus-centered family on a mission with him. 
That's what we're about. We want to be Jesus-centered. We want our entire lives and our church to revolve around the person and work of Jesus. We want to be a family. We think that when you become a Christian, God becomes your father, but you also get, for better or for worse, brothers and sisters in Christ. And then lastly, we want to be on a mission. We believe every Christian is a missionary sent into their workplace, their neighborhood, their family, their friendships for the sake of taking the gospel. What we're going to talk about tonight as it relates to just what I want to talk about as well as Acts 8 is the last two words in that statement, that we exist to be a Jesus-centered family on mission with him. We think about, as a church, what it means to take the gospel into our city. We do not do it for God, as if he can't do it on his own, as as if he needs us to help him save some folks. We don't do it to please God, as if we can gain more of his approval or favor, but that we already have that fully through the person and work of Jesus. We don't do it without God, as if we have to go conjure something up or make it happen or, or do it under our own strength, but rather we live on mission with God. Here's why I can say that confidently is because we serve a missionary God. We serve a God who goes. This is the story throughout history. This is the story throughout the scriptures. God seeking and pursuing and going to sinful people to rescue them and redeem them and ransom them for himself. That's the whole storyline from Genesis to Revelation is God going after us when we don't want him to make us a people for himself. We go on mission with God. We join him in the work he's doing in the world. I love how theologian Christopher Wright puts it. He says this, he said, it is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, God's mission. God has a mission and he invites us to join him as the Holy Spirit leads us and directs us and guides us and calls us and equips us and so on and so forth. And so what we're looking at today, kind of our big summary statement is this, the Holy Spirit leads ordinary Christians for the spread of the gospel. The Holy Spirit leads ordinary Christians for the spread of the gospel. I want to walk through this passage today, and I just want to draw out some truths, some principles for what it looks like to be spirit-led in our mission with God. So to kind of frame up where we've been and how we've gotten to Acts chapter 8, Cole last week walked through Acts 6 and 7, and he talked about how the early church was having a mercy ministry problem. They couldn't take care of all of the people in need in their church. The widows and the orphans were getting passed over in the food distribution, and so they raised up seven deacons to lead that ministry. And the first deacon we looked at last week was Stephen, and Stephen preached the gospel, and he got killed for it. And as a result of his killing, this kind of massive persecution of Christians spread throughout Jerusalem and everybody left except for the 12 apostles. And we said that this was God using the sacrifice and suffering of his people to advance his mission in the world to get the gospel to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And today, Acts chapter 8, we're looking at another deacon, a deacon by the name of Philip. Philip, who in the persecution heads down to Samaria. Let's pick it up in verse 4 of chapter 8. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. So 
Persecution breaks out in Jerusalem. Everybody scatters. Philip goes to Samaria, starts preaching, and basically a little mini revival takes place. This is the first principle I want us to see tonight. Number one, Holy Spirit-led mission is the call of every believer. Holy Spirit-led mission is the call of every believer. And I want to start here because in just a second, Philip's going to get a very specific word from the Lord. An angel is going to come down and give divine guidance to Philip and say, I want you to go here, talk to this guy, say these things, do this. But here, there's no at least explicit Holy Spirit instruction, right? Philip doesn't have a dream. He doesn't have this voice audibly from God. He just shows up in Samaria and he's like, well, I'm here. I guess I'll start preaching. And God uses it and the Holy Spirit works and people get saved. Philip knows if I'm a follower of Jesus, wherever I go and wherever God has me, I am a witness there. Here's what I want us to learn from this. You don't need to wait to feel led to a person or place or situation to start living on mission. Let me say that again. You don't need to wait to feel led to a person, a place, or situation to start living on mission. You can just start going for it. Philip shows up in Samaria. He takes the initiative. He starts preaching the gospel. People start getting saved. And in fact, biblically and in my own experience, the Spirit of God is often more of a redirector than he is the one that, that gets us launched, right? So Philip's going and he's preaching the gospel and he's in Samaria, people are getting saved and that's when the spirit shows up and redirects him towards a new mission. So some of y'all get this sports reference, but I like to say that the Holy Spirit is much more of an audible than a play call. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like, hey, this is the set thing. This is what we're gonna do. Holy Spirit shows up and goes, hey, that's great. You're following me. You're reading your Bible. You're preaching the word. You're telling people about me. Now think about this. We thought about these people. Let me go here. Let me say it this way for us. I think one of the barriers that, as we've been talking about mission as a church, if, if you're new, this is basically the same sermon we've been preaching the last four weeks. We just keep talking about mission, what it looks like to take the gospel to our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends. And one of the barriers I hear the most to, to mission right now is what do we do with relationships during the time of COVID? Working remote, mass, social distancing, all of that. And I think there's a way to approach this passage and think about Holy Spirit-led mission and kind of be passive. Right, like, well, I just, I don't know. Do they want to be my friend? It's weird. And absolutely, you got to use wisdom and you got to use discernment and you got to be safe and all of that. Absolutely. But I think there's a way to do it where we have passivity that justifies and excuses us not wanting to take some gospel initiative. To actually have some gospel scheming a little bit. Say, where has God put me? How can I step out in faith? I think sometimes we can excuse it and say, well, God hasn't really led me to anybody. The Spirit hasn't really spoken, go talk to this person or go do this thing. He hasn't really opened a door, so I'm just going to kind of wait until he opens the door. And sometimes the Holy Spirit's saying, get going and then see what doors I might open for you. And you start acting, start trying, start throwing things at the wall and see what sticks. If you are a Christian, you are a sent one. We're going to keep saying it as a church over and over and over again. If you are a Christian, you are a witness. You are sent somewhere for the sake of the gospel. Try something. Try a new hobby. Try to meet some people. Doesn't work, try something else. Try to talk to your neighbor. Doesn't work, talk to your other neighbor. And then your other one. Let's keep going. Acts 8, 26. So that's Philip's in Samaria. He's leading a revival. Then the Spirit does show up. Verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. So in light of what's going on in Philip's life here, this passage doesn't really make any sense. Right? So he's in Samaria. This crazy revival has busted out. There's a bunch of joy in the city. People are getting saved left and right. And, and God shows up and says, Philip, go to Gaza. 
doesn't make sense for him to leave Samaria, and it really doesn't make sense for him to go to Gaza. So Gaza, in the first century, was this kind of uh, backwoods, out-of-nowhere place that people just didn't really want to go. Okay, it was, it was dangerous, it was dirty, it was out of the way, it's a desert place, is what the text says. And to top it all off, Gaza was a Philistine city. And the Jews hated the Philistines. Philip was Jewish. He didn't, couldn't stand these people. The Philistines were enemies of God. They were enemies of the Jewish people. If you remember the Bible story, David and Goliath, Goliath was a Philistine. All right, this is bad news, people, for the Jewish people. He doesn't want to go here. There's no reason for Philip to leave this area of revival to go to a place and a people he doesn't want to go to. That leads us to our second principle. Holy Spirit-led mission often involves risk. Holy Spirit-led mission often involves risk. This was way inconvenient, way out of Philip's comfort zone. I don't like those people. It's far away. I don't want to do that. It's a desert. No, thank you. I'm in Samaria. Things are good. God, you're working. I don't want to go there. But that's often how the mission of God works. Right? The Lord calls us somewhere or, or to certain people, and it's like, ah, not there, God. God doesn't see people how we see people. He doesn't see places how we see places. His heart is for the lost in those places we reject. He has people that he wants to save in those places we don't want to go to. God has people he wants to redeem and bring into a relationship with himself in those people groups that we despise or we just avoid because they're not really like us. Those are the people and those are the places that God often sends us in his kindness. And then as he sends us there, also because of his grace, he changes and molds and shapes our hearts that we would go to love them and be burdened for them and care for them. So for some of you, this might mean places here in this city that you never thought you'd go for the sake of the gospel. Areas of our city that you would avoid any other day that God wants to send you into for the sake of bringing the good news in word and deed like we talked about a few weeks ago. For some of you, this might mean taking up hobbies you never thought you'd enjoy and maybe will never enjoy for the sake of the gospel. Stepping into relationships with folks that are hard to get along with or just different from you or you have nothing in common with for the sake of the gospel. For others of you, this is going to mean leaving Charlotte for the sake of the gospel. Some of you are like, I just got here. Some of you are like, I'm not even here yet. Some of y'all been here 5, 10, 15 years, and you're like, I'm thriving here. I love it here. Queen City, woo, 704 forever. And God's like, nah. I love that you love it here. This is not it. I got something else for you. I have somewhere else for you. It might be a place you don't want to go. It might be a place that you would never thought you would give your life to. Villages in northern Africa, slums in inner city India, post-Christian London, post-Christian Berlin for the sake of the gospel. Talk about that more next week. Number two, Holy Spirit-led mission often involves risk. Let's keep going in our story. So Holy Spirit shows up, says, Philip, go to Gaza. Philip goes, follower of Jesus. He says, and he rose and went, verse 27. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Verse 29, and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip is on the desert road, heading to Gaza, probably like, why am I doing this? This is the desert. I don't want to be here. What's up? Holy Spirit speaks again, and he sends him to this Ethiopian eunuch. So get a little bit, get you to know a little bit about this man. So Ethiopia today is a fairly small country. It's kind of Northeast Africa. But at this time, well, of the writing of Acts, Ethiopia is everything on the continent of Africa, south of the Nile River 
which if you know your African geography is most of Africa. And this man is the treasurer for the queen of all of it. So he's very high up, very important, probably very wealthy and very established. And it also says that he was a eunuch. So if you're not familiar with Bible terminology, a eunuch was a servant of the queen who in order to get that role and to have that prominent position would willingly be castrated so the king could make sure that he wasn't doing something he wasn't supposed to do with the queen. That's what it means to be a eunuch. If you have more questions, you can email our intern, Walker Bird at citizenscharlotte.com. He'd love to answer all of them. He promised. Socially, it would make no sense for this man to go, for Philip to go to this man. Right? Different backgrounds, different social statuses, different ethnicities, different countries of origin. Already he's like, I got to go to Gaza. And now the Holy Spirit's like, also you got to talk to this man on the road to Gaza. No sense. And that leads to number three. Holy Spirit-led mission requires listening to God. Holy Spirit-led mission requires listening to God. We've said this time and time again throughout our series. The Holy Spirit is all over the book of Acts. So he shows up about 60 times throughout the 28 chapters in Acts. And about two-thirds, a little over 40 of those times, the primary role he's playing in that situation is a speaking role, a guiding role, a leading role. Sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks through words of prophecy, through a member of the church. Sometimes it's a divine vision or a dream. Sometimes it's this kind of God-given yearning or pressing like we see later on with the Apostle Paul. And the voice of the Spirit's all over this passage, constantly, Philip, go here. Philip, do this. Philip, talk to this person. But here's what you have to understand as a church is that the Holy Spirit is still speaking today. This wasn't just a book of Acts thing. This wasn't a, yeah, he used to do that then. The Holy Spirit is still speaking and leading his people today. And, and I would argue most often through this, which is why we care so much about getting you in the Bible, reading the scriptures, studying the scriptures, praying the scriptures. He's, the Holy Spirit still speaks through God's people through Christian brothers and sisters, through your community, through prayer, sometimes just through steady promptings or pressings within our soul. But here's the problem. The Holy Spirit is still speaking. We don't live lives with space to hear him. We crowd our minds. We crowd our time constantly rushing here and there, moving and going. I read one author this week talking about just our generation and our society. He says this. He says, we live in an overstimulated age of nonstop, constant content consumption. Just constantly. No time off. Ever. Stoplight, I gotta check Instagram. Go to the bathroom, I gotta check Twitter. All the time, just constantly. I gotta check my phone, I gotta read this, I gotta study this. It's just content, 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 content. And then we look up and we're like, it doesn't feel like God's speaking to me. Is something wrong with me? And it's like, yeah, you're not listening. This past weekend, my parents were in town. We were hanging out yesterday morning, uh, the four of us, my wife, my parents, and our little baby girl, and we were playing, having a good time, and me and Lindsay, my wife, and my mom were having this intense conversation, and then I got a text message from somebody in our church, and we were, uh, it was a little bit of a mini crisis, just trying to figure out what we were going to do with some different stuff coming up for tonight, and so I'm replying to these texts, and I'm texting this person and sending that person, and meanwhile, they're continuing the conversation. You can see where this is going. And so at one point, Lindsay, I don't hear anything except for my, my wife's voice, cut through the static of my phone. And she says, Tim, what do you think? Which if you're in a relationship or have been in a relationship, you know the proper thing to say there is, I don't know, what do you think? And she says, Tim, you weren't listening, were you? And I said, no. She says, you missed all of it? And I said, yes. I started thinking about it and I started wondering, do we not do that with God as well? Right? He beckons us to hear his voice, 
he calls to us, that he sends us, that he tries to guide us and lead us. Hey, think about that neighbor. Hey, think about that coworker. Hey, think about this family member. Hey, have you thought about them? He tries to push us and push us on mission and through our phone or through our Netflix or just through our busyness of work or parenting or whatever, we just don't have ears to listen and to hear that he might guide us, that he might lead us. And then we get upset and we get frustrated. It's like, God, it feels like you're not leading me on mission. What's going on? He's saying, I'm trying to. Your phone's getting in the way. Your distraction's getting in the way. This content is getting in the way. What would it look like for us to actually create space in our lives to hear, not be distracted, not be busy, to not be afraid? Just think about the day-to-day life that you live, right? When you're walking in the neighborhood, you feel the Holy Spirit press on you about that neighbor that you've never introduced yourself to. It's a decision. Are you going to stop? Are you going to listen? You have the courage to say hello? When you're in the coffee shop, right, and someone sitting next to you is reading a book about Jesus or Christianity or just religion, right, and you feel the Holy Spirit just urging and pushing on you, hey, you should say something. You should ask a question. You should initiate conversation safely at six feet. Are you going to listen? Are you going to be too afraid? That coworker, the Holy Spirit brings to mind over and over in every sermon we preach on mission, in every community group discussion you're having, every time you're praying, the Holy Spirit just keeps pushing on you. This person, this person, this person. Are you going to actually reach out and go, you know what? I can pause work for two seconds and I can send him an email. Hey, you want to get lunch? Hey, I thought it'd be fun to be friends. What do you think? People not do that? That's just me? Cool. Here's just a big picture, generic one. Are you entering each day just being available to be used by the Lord? Praying before you step out the door or walk into your office or your living room or wherever you're, where you're working from. God, use me today. I want to hear from you. I want to be used by you. Speak to me through your word, through prayer, through your people. Give me opportunities to share the gospel. Give me opportunities to love. Give me opportunities to serve. I love that we're, we're fasting from background noise this week. I think it's perfect timing just to create a little bit of margin, a little bit of space in our lives to hear from the Lord. God, what are you doing? How can I be a part? I love the way Pastor Eugene Peterson puts it. He says this. He says, the assumption of spirituality is that always God is doing something before I know it. So the task is not to get God to do something I think needs to be done, but to become aware of what God is doing so that I can respond to it and participate and take delight in it. How do I become aware? By listening. God, speak to me. Show me what you're doing. You're a missionary God. You are the one initiating. You are the one going. You are the one seeking people. How can I get in on that? That's what it looks like to live on mission. Let's keep going. Verse 30. So Philip, again, because Philip's obedient, he runs to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? He invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Verse 32, now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Here's our fourth point. I want to give it, and then we'll talk about it and explain it. Number four, Holy Spirit-led mission meets people where they are and gives them Jesus. Holy Spirit-led mission meets people where they are and gives them Jesus. i got to warn you, I've had an iced coffee, so I'm going to nerd out a little bit and get more excited than I should. Philip is led by the Holy Spirit. 
right? He's on this road to Gaza. He's going to a desert place. And the spirit says, go talk to this man in the chariot. He's an Ethiopian eunuch. It's going to be great. Don't worry about it. And he rolls up on the man and the man's reading this passage. It's a quote from Isaiah 53, seven through eight. Chapter chapter 53 of Isaiah reads like an eyewitness account of the crucifixion of Jesus. The only problem is that it's written 800 years before it actually happens. Okay, so this man is reading Isaiah 53, and right before verses 7 through 8, you have have verses 5 and 6. And this is what Isaiah 53, 5 and 6 says about Jesus. It says this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So here's what's going on right around the chapters where this man is reading. So he would have been, at this point, reading Isaiah 53, but he would have read all around it. He's seeking, he's searching. So Isaiah 53 talks about this sacrificial lamb who dies for the sins of God's people. Keep reading. Isaiah 54, it talks about this eternal covenant of peace, this future time of unmatched blessings for the people of God in the presence of God. You keep going. Isaiah 55 talks about the compassion of God and the fact that because of his grace, the people of God will take part in the mission of God to usher in this new creation and new believers. So in three chapters, Isaiah 53, Isaiah 54, and Isaiah 55, where this man is reading on a random desert road to Gaza, we read there is a sacrificial servant who will atone for his people, He will bring about a new covenant of peace and a new creation. Verse 34, Acts 8. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Let me tell you why this man asked this question in verse 34. So the Ethiopian is undoubtedly wrestling with who God is and what that means for his life. He's wrestling. Here's how I know he's wrestling. He would have traveled 1,500 miles by chariot from his city all the way to Jerusalem to worship and figure out who this God is of the Jews, what he's about, and why they worship him. 1,500 miles. That's chariot from Charlotte to Denver. 1,500 miles. This is not like a three-day weekend over Memorial Day, all right? Like, this is a trip. He's journeying. He also was reading from a scroll that has the Old Testament scriptures of Isaiah. This is not $3 Amazon Bible, okay? This is scroll. This is money. This is seeking. He would have had to ask around, searching, all this kind of stuff. And so he's asking the question, and he's wrestling with who God is. I told you I was excited. Who God is and what that means for his life. Here's the problem. He would have gotten all the way, 1,500 miles, Charlotte to Denver, all the way to the temple, ready. Okay, who's this, Jewish, who's this Jewish God? Who is he? Why do they worship him? What's this about? And he would have gotten to the edge of the temple. And on the wall of the outer part of the temple, he would have read a sign that said this, no, la- no lame, no blind, and no eunuch may enter here. It's in Leviticus. No lame, no blind, no eunuch may enter here. Can you imagine what's going through his mind at that part? Can you imagine? 1,500 miles by chariot. I don't want to fly that. By chariot, 1,500 miles, seeking God. Is this God real? What does it mean for me? He shows up at the temple to now find, have I been cut off from the presence of God? Can I not enter into his presence? Can I not enter into his worship? Can I not be included in the people of God? Can I not make a home here? What have I done? Remember, he chose this life. He chose to go through this. He chose to become a eunuch to reach this high status of power and position. He chose to go there. Now he's thinking, what have I done? Let's keep reading in Acts 8. Verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about 
Jesus. Here's what happens. Isaiah 53, suffering servant, sacrificial lamb. Isaiah 54, new covenant. Isaiah 55, God's people in his presence forever. If he would have kept reading to Isaiah 56, here's what he would have read. Isaiah 56, four through seven. Sorry for the slides, Kenan. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Verse six, and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him and to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant. Look at this, verse seven. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. So here's the eunuch all the way to Jerusalem, this sign, no, bland, no lame, no blind, no eunuch manter here. And he goes and rolls up. He's on this desert road going back to his hometown, dejected, reading Isaiah. What did I miss? What's going on here? What am I not understanding? Philip rolls up, led by the Holy Spirit. It's like, what? This guy's reading Isaiah. This is crazy. Now I understand why I'm here. He shows up to the man and says, do you understand? The guy's like, no, I can't. I need someone to explain it. And starting there, Philip goes, man, do I have good news for you? Because you rolled up to the temple and you're asking questions. Hey, how do I follow this Mosaic law? How do I be a part of these customs? How do I be a part of these traditions? And you showed up going, man, I cannot. And here's the thing. Here's the truth though. Neither can they. All those people that were allowed to enter the temple, they can't live up to it either. They can't follow the laws. They can't make themselves right with God. They can't earn God's approval. But let me tell you, there was one person who followed the law perfectly and his name is Jesus. He came. And he lived the perfect life that you cannot live, not because you keep choosing sin and acting out in sin, but because at your core, your heart is wicked and sinful. So even if you try to do everything perfectly, first, you won't. And second, still at your core, you need a new heart. You need a new body. You need a new creation. You need to be made new. And there was someone who came and followed the law perfectly, lived the perfect life that you cannot live. And yet here's the good news, Ethiopian man, random on a road to Gaza in the desert. Here's the good news for you. Jesus died and took your place on the cross, taking on your sin, becoming sin for you and bearing the punishment and wrath of God so that by faith, not through custom, by faith, not by law, by faith, not by tradition, by faith in Jesus, you might be saved and washed clean and made new and forgiven and have a name that will never be cut off. What? There, on a desert road, in a desert place, the Holy Spirit leads Philip because there's someone who is searching. So I want to say this. First of all, there are some of you in the room who are having your own chariot moment. There's some of you in this room who have been searching and have been asking the questions, is this God thing real? Is it for me? Can I be forgiven? Can I be washed clean? Can I be made new? Is there forgiveness for me? Do you know what I've done? Is there forgiveness for that? Yes. There's hope. Just like the Philip told the Ethiopian on the road to Gaza, his name is Jesus. He wants to forgive you. And that gnawing in your soul that you just can't put to death is not there by accident or by coincidence or by chance. It's the pressing of the Holy Spirit saying, come back home. Come back to God. Come to where your soul belongs. Find forgiveness, find healing, find redemption. Church attendance is not going to do it. Your parents or your grandparents' faith, that's great. Not going to do it. Trying to do nice things and just be a good person and help others out, not going to do it. Your own truth, your own way, whatever works for you, not going to do it. Jesus. 
He is the hope of the world. He is the light of salvation. He is the one who redeems us and makes us new and washes us clean. The Bible says if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Period. Guarantee. For those of you in the room who are following Jesus, you need to hear this. You are not where you are by accident. You're not in your job by accident. I know you hate it. You're not there by accident. You're not in your neighborhood by accident. I know it's kind of dangerous. You're not there by accident. You're not in your friend groups by accident. I know they're kind of annoying. You're not there by accident. You're not in your families by accident. I know your kids are frustrating. You're not there by accident. God has put you where he has put you because there are people around you having chariot moments that need you to step in with the good news of Jesus. Okay, but I don't, I don't know my Bible. I can't take someone from Isaiah 53 to the cross. Okay, let's start reading our Bibles. Let's start getting a good study Bible. ESV study Bible is what I recommend. Let's start reading. Let's start studying. This is why we're trying to get so much scripture in front of you all the time. Yeah, but I don't know where people are at. I don't know the questions they're asking. Okay, be a better friend. I'm not saying you're a bad friend. I'm just saying ask more questions. Seek. Be inquisitive about the people around you. Hey, what's going on there, man? Hey, you seem sad. What's, can I, can I, what's going on? Learn to ask good questions. Learn to be a good friend. Learn to go first in listening, not in talking. Yeah, but I, what if I get it wrong? What if I share the gospel wrong? What if I don't get it all right? What if I mess something up? Good heart, good desire. We want to get the gospel right. Absolutely. Here's the thing. We put together some resources, some really easy gospel tools. Citizenscharlotte.com, go. Your homework for this week, your application, go study, learn how to present the gospel in a winsome, loving way and tell others about Jesus and what he's done in your life. It's too important. Holy Spirit is sending you. Let's finish the story. Verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. Love the Bible. <laughs> what prevents me from being baptized? It's like going to the water. And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Number five, Holy Spirit-led mission expects God to save. Holy Spirit-led mission expects God to save. The man gets saved, gets baptized, goes public with his faith, and we don't know what happens to him based on the Bible, but we do have an account from an ancient church historian named Eusebius. He says that this eunuch, on the way back to Ethiopia, shares the gospel with all of his servants. That would have been a part of his chariot ride as well. They all become Christians, and they go back to Africa and plant the first church in Africa, which I love because we wrongly think that Christianity is a white Western thing. Before the gospel ever goes to white Westerners, it goes to a church in Africa. Another sermon for another time, but I love that. Meanwhile, Philip, the text says, is carried away by the Spirit. Some of y'all keep asking me if he got teleported. Maybe. I don't know. Definitely some kind of miraculous travel. Next thing he knows, he's 20 miles away in a town called Azotus. And look at what he keeps doing. I love it. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Next time you see Philip is about 10 chapters later. He has four daughters who are all serving in the church. And he's loving the Lord, being faithful, preaching the gospel in Caesarea until the day he dies. Faithful life led by the Spirit. God has people in our city. He has people in our state. He has people in our country. And he has people in our world that he wants to save, and that he will save. And the invitation for you and for me is to see the work God is doing, to listen, and to join him in that work, expectant that he's going to continue to save. 
That's our five things. Holy Spirit-led mission is for every believer. It often involves risk, requires listening to God. It meets people where they are and gives them Jesus. And number five, it expects God to save.